lightning. Inspirational. Inspirational. Powerfully refining. Powerfully refining. And unapologetically controversial. Conversations with the Royal Impress. The entire world knows the secret of who you are. Now is the time to step into your queendom and become the Royal Empress that you're meant to be. One woman at a time. Conversations with the Royal Empress. Now Akima, she's the analytical Empress. Akima, she's the Empress that will challenge you. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the Royal Empress. Welcome back to Conversations with the Royal Empress. This is Dr. Hakima, and joining me is my sister from another mother, my kindred spirit, and co-host, the Royal Empress, Akila. Also joining us is a very, very special co-host, someone I've known for almost seven years. Very special brother, very knowledgeable, very spiritual brother. A special co-host, Reverend Damien W.D. Davis. Now let me give you a short little intro about this brother. Reverend Davis is an HBCU grad alum of Wilberforce University. He's also a doctoral student. He's associate pastor of New Tiberia Baptist Church, and he's a chaplain at an Illinois maximum security prison and an author of a book titled The Millennium Christian. How you doing today, Reverend? Oh, hey, how's it going? Thank you for having me. Thank you, uh, Royal, Royal Empress. My uh, my queens of the of the universe. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome. You're welcome, welcome, welcome. Now we we're glad to have you on because we have a very special topic today. It is overcoming the challenges of ministering to incarcerated men with interfaith ministries. Ooh, that's exciting, isn't it? Mm, yes, very, <laughs> <laughs> very, so very exciting, very exciting. Okay. I think it's one very one one. It's a very good topic to discuss right now, especially after the the film came out about what when they see us. I mean, incarceration is a very big topic right now in our community. So I mean, since it's such a big topic, why don't we just talk about it and we'll talk about the challenges of ministering to men who are incarcerated? Yeah, yeah. So. Um, uh, one of the things at least that I have witnessed as far as for what, what makes it complicated or difficult as far as for dealing with those who are incarcerated is that you are constantly faced with several different types of men that are, that are being incarcerated. Um, you have some where they've actually uh, claimed innocence. Uh, you have some who have actually made the claim of guilt uh, and then you have another situation that's sort of like a rising problem as far as for dealing with people who have mental illness. Um, and even within those particular groups, there's always this constant issue uh, as far as what we, at least what I'm usually facing 
um, particularly with those who are who are innocent, um, uh, they they seem to be very scarred by the um, by the system in terms of what it has done to them. Um, and so a lot of times I actually find it quite difficult to try to bring some sense of hope um, and uh, a way of trying to kind of regain their own uh, sense of freedom, even though their freedom has been stripped away from them. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's not, a, it's not an easy, there isn't any easy process in terms of how to actually um, effectively minister to guys, uh, regardless of their Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, um, uh, Jehovah's Witness, or what have you. I mean, it's, it's, still, it's still complicated. And so I always try to work on um, making sure that at least that I am treating them as if they are human. Um, and if they're treat, and if I if I treat them like they're human beings, then usually I get a better a, a better understanding in terms of how to effectively minister to them. And one of the biggest going, like you said, is the mental illness category for the the ones that are labeled seriously mentally ill, and the difficulty to even communicate with them, let alone administer to them. Right. Right. It is. It's. I mean. It's. It's definitely very uh, complicated. Um, a lot of times, um, and uh, you know, it's. It's. You kind of begin to, or at least, at least for me, but what my experience has been is that you, aside from the people that have been uh, labeled, you know, as um, you know, rightfully convicted, you kind of begin to gain a, a, uh, a sense of uh, sympathy um, for the case because even though they may have their, even though they may have had a situation where, you know, they have committed a crime, um, a lot of times, at least based on the stories that I've encountered, is usually they are, um, they themselves have walked into the system wounded. Or they themselves have walked into the system where they have been, where they have been abused, and so in response to not being able to try to find alternative ways to um, better uh, channel their anger or frustration, um, it has led them to crimes, and so, so sometimes it would lead them to uh, drugs and alcohol, um, or even potentially uh, taking a life, uh, and. I think the part that I find hard sometimes is basically trying to rear this person in, in terms of uh, do they actually feel regret. Um, but uh, I usually try to instill in, in them uh, certain type of principles, like basic principles in terms of what actually they feel uh, applies. But initially I began to start talking about, you know, sort of like the, the humanistic approach. In terms of how to, you know, kind of deal with some of the things that they themselves have not dealt with themselves before. Do you find that they come and seek you out for counsel at all because of who you are? Like, how does that work? Because obviously I have no clue how the prison system works from the inside. So do prisoners come to you 
or is it just you know you do you approach them like how does that work how do they end up talking to the chaplain right so um uh it's kind of funny because it it kind of happens almost all the time uh so i could be walking down the hallway and someone would begin to talk to me i could be um doing some work in my office and someone would begin to talk to me in most cases what the guys would do is that they would make a request to say hey chaplain do you mind if uh, if you can come see me or they would make a request to see if they can come to my office in most cases what i tried to do um is uh, I, well it's kind of like 50 50. i try to get to their sales to try to you know converse with them about some of the issues that they're facing um and then uh, other times i actually make a request to bring the people over um to my office uh and so then that's when we begin to kind of filter through some of the issues that they may have had in the past that may have caused them uh, to do certain crimes or why they feel as if it's hopeless to fight um, to fight uh, through the system um, based upon uh, they feel that they didn't do anything they feel that they're innocent feel that the system is the system is broken and so they have um, they they feel as if it's almost impossible to get released, um, you know, from from prison. So, uh, but yeah, they usually just kind of just make requests. And sometimes, uh, because of corrections, stuff kind of kind of spread word of mouth. So, uh, if I were to have perhaps maybe a, a really good conversation with a guy of any particular faith, um, what would wind up happening is that you know guys would begin to say, "Hey, man." Chaplain Davis, he cool, you know, he a, he a real cool guy. And so, um, I mean, I found myself having various conversations with, um, uh, with Muslims, even more science, even the nation of gods and earth. I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't, the converse, the conversation doesn't stop. And usually, um, the conversations actually wind up being going like very well to the point where, where um, it creates, uh, a space for them to kind of become vulnerable at that particular point. And if they are allowed to have that space where they're allowed to be vulnerable and I maintain in confidence about what, what we have shared just between me and them, um, in most cases, they are less likely to, um, to uh, sort of, I guess, in a sense, probably create problems later on or, uh, or to some degree, they're almost in a sense uh, police themselves um, when they are in conversations uh, with me or even with staff. That was definitely a question that I was going to ask is how does the confidentiality work when you're the chaplain? Is what is revealed to you kept in confidence? If somebody came in and admitted some crime that nobody knew about, what would be your role in that? Like, is your allegiance to that that confidentiality or is it to the truth? Well, yeah, well, actually, I'm glad, actually glad you asked that question. Um, uh, in fact, actually, there was, uh, I think, I want to say probably the movie, the movie uh, uh, When They See Us kind of 
discuss some of those, some, some like one of those particular pivot points. I ain't going to jump ahead, but you kind of just uh, brought something to mind is that there's this thing where they have sort of like chaplaincy confidentiality. Um, so if the situation, if there's a situation where a person is perhaps going to harm themselves uh, or they're going to harm someone else, or if they really want to make a confession in regards to a crime that they actually committed um, and the confidentiality, uh, I mean, there's pretty much just sort of like a, a certain type of protocol. So um, I would go through the, the proper channels as far as for trying to explain this situation uh, that the guy just made a confession to. More than likely, it may have to be put on paper. Um, but I would probably wind up trying to speak with probably the legal team to say, okay, look, this guy made a confession about uh, a crime that he had committed. And so I am making this statement on his behalf. So you are made aware of it. But if it's, if it's one of those three things, then I have to disclose it. But I have to go through the proper channels in terms of how I'm going to do that. But if it's something private, where it's, you know, someone they may have, they may not want to discuss that they were sexually molested or that they've had father problems or mother problems or what have you, um, that stuff, uh, 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 until it becomes to a situation where they're going to harm themselves, uh, uh, then that's when, that's, that's where that confidentiality kind of operates. I have one question for you, and this is for for listeners who may feel that a guy with a life sentence, why does he even need to be ministered to? I mean, like, why would you want to minister to someone who has a life sentence? Can you expound on that? Yeah. Um, when it comes to someone that has a life sentence, like, why do they, why do they need to be ministered to? I, I think that it would it wouldn't be i wouldn't be putting forth a godly like character if i did not see this person as god saw them um and that's even taking into some consideration that you know i have to remind myself okay now this person they have committed a crime they've made a confession to it um uh, okay, God, how am I supposed to see this person? They have, they have taken, they have taken a life. Um, and so now in this particular institution, they, while they're serving life, they're actually giving their life up, uh, to be in a situation where they are pretty much going to be incarcerated for the rest of their lives. So in some respects, they are actually paying for their quote unquote sin um that they that they have committed and usually what i wind up uh referring to as far as when it as it relates to a particular scripture i wind up uh going to the uh conversation um where it starts to talk about with genesis genesis um uh, genesis between uh with cain and abel and so there was a piece in there that was actually very, very pivotal. 
um, where Cain, uh, where God is coming in the garden and uh, God tells uh, God tells Cain, he said, well, uh, where's, your son, where's your son Abel? And so he um, said, uh, am, I not, uh, am I my brother's keeper? And then he heard the blood from the ground um, spilling out and crying out to him. And so uh, uh, Cain was thinking that perhaps maybe I might wind up being the, the guy. Maybe you're going to punish me. It was just like, no, I think the punishment is the fact that you're going to have to live with the guilt that you have actually committed. But mm -hmm. I'm going to ensure that there's going to be a mark that's going to be placed on you so that you will know that anybody that harms you, now they have to respond to me. So um, for the person that has committed a crime, the mark has already been placed on them that they're going to sacrifice. They're, they're making a sacrifice of their freedom. That's a sacrifice of their life. Um, uh, in a lot of respects, they actually deserve some sense, some sense of hope. And perhaps um, what winds up happening is that their story will be able to transition over into another young person's um, uh, story who, who may be serving perhaps maybe in a shorter sentence. He would be the educator to that, young, to that young male to inform them that, look, I made a horrible mistake. I made a horrible, uh, made a horrible uh, sin against humanity. Um, don't continue to waste your life. And usually this is what I wind up finding that don't continue to waste your life thinking that it's cool or you uh, or you're a great man or you're a powerful man um, based upon being able to say, well, you know, I was able to take a life or whatever. No, you got to understand that this is a human being that you're killing. This is God's child that you're that you're taking. And usually when they come to that sense of regret and they know and they don't um, I mean, of course, no one would like want to serve life in prison, but still, that in the same case, uh, what they wind up doing is trying to educate other men who are incarcerated to inform them that look, don't give up, don't give up your life for for foolishness. It's not this is this is not something that you want uh, for the rest of your life. So that's usually what I come across. That's, that's very interesting because, you know, so many movies on that where they show that a young man who's getting out and his changed his life is typically another inmate who will kind of lead, lead the change in that one individual, be like a guide or a mentor for them to change. And so when they get out, the result is the change individual is effect, has been touched or affected by that one person that doesn't get out. So, I mean, it's interesting you say that. I remember being on a gallery and this one brother, he was talking on the phone. And so I, I heard the conversation. And when I heard the conversation, I thought he was talking to a grown man. So I, being nosy, I said, uh, you know, I was inter interested in who he was talking to. I said, who are you talking to on the phone? Because he was laying so many demands on him. And he said, well, I was talking to my son. I said, oh, what is he about, 19, 20? He said, no, he's six. And I was floored by it because I'm like, now I see the whole purpose of, of ministering to these men while they're in prison because even though they're incarcerated, they don't stop being husbands. They don't stop being fathers. They don't stop being sons. 
life continues for them. It just continues for them behind, behind the cell door. Yeah, it, it, it definitely, it doesn't, life, life doesn't stop. I mean, I, I have witnessed various men where they would basically kind of tell me about a lot of the, the parenting that they, parenting issue that they have to deal with. Um, uh, I think probably one of the most discouraging um, things that I've, that I've come across is that when I've noticed that there were, um, there was a father and son that were incarcerated uh, at the same time. And sadly, both of them have been given very extensive sentences. Now they've made, now they made confessions like, yeah, I did this or I was out there in the streets or whatnot. Um, but it's really heartbreaking to kind of see um, both the father and the son in the same place, or at least in the same institution. And um, I don't know, it's just, it's just, it's just real, it's just real eerie just to see, just to see that, that type of a uh, uh, perspective of family dynamic. Um, because it, it kind of makes you think that, well, what happened to the family? Where did we, where did we, where did we go wrong? Where did we, um, drop the ball? Uh, but then fortunately there are, have, there have been some men who have definitely influenced their, their children to pretty much stay out of prison, um, or to go about the right way. And, uh, I believe some of them have said that they've graduated from uh, various themed collegiate um, high schools. Uh, they went on to get a master's degree or they went into the service or things of that nature. So I, I think I probably hear more stories uh, about that, um, at least as far as for prevention, but I'm not quite sure exactly, unfortunately, of, of the statistics um, because <laughs> I think that's just one avenue that I'm not even quite sure exactly I want to make a full commitment to just as of yet. Um, but I know eventually that would definitely wind up coming up in probably some of my research, uh, probably going forward. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's unusual, but it, it, it does actually take place. I don't believe that prisons rehabilitate, but with your role, do you feel like part of your job is kind of to assist in is like is that the only rehabilitation they really get is having those in there who can minister to them well uh, well one thing I, I will say in regards to the rehabilitation um which is actually a very uh complex complex discussion because at least in my um, well, dur during my time uh, in the prison, uh, what I've noticed is that there's a two-fold type of rehabilitation that kind of takes place. Um, and it's usually, let me see, I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. it usually, it doesn't feel as if it's, it's, it's not necessarily coming from the system. Um, ironically, in my, during my time, uh, the people who have actually made the best measures, uh, best measures in terms of trying to rehabilitate 
um, the men incarcerated have actually been the volunteers. Um, uh, programs that actually give some basic understanding about how to conduct their lives uh, actually makes it makes it makes a huge benefit. I mean, the the interesting thing is that uh, uh, you know, in most cases, some of us are afforded the luxury of being able to have uh, great mentors, um, great family upbringings, uh, just various different things that will create a positive uh, community ju just within ourselves. Um, but uh, a lot of these guys, they have not had the luxury of that. Um, in most cases, a lot of the men do not have high school diplomas. Um, so by not having a high school diploma uh, and not having an interest or an opportunity to really even consider education as some type of outlet to be able to get out of uh, doing any type of crime, um, what winds up happening is just that they're, they're like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm incarcerated, you know, nobody never gave me nothing. So that's where the programs as far as for different schools um, come in. And the interesting thing is that uh, the inmates have actually been the ones to really do like extensive research in regards to what they feel or what they know will actually cause rehabilitative measures. And so um, the theme would be sort of, sort of like this, and this is basically a rough figure. If a person has, does not have a high school diploma, then they're, uh, <laughs> I would probably say maybe 80% likely to actually get themselves involved in criminal activity. Um, the higher the education goes, it decreases. And so if a person gains a high school diploma, you're looking at maybe, I don't know, perhaps maybe 60%, maybe a little bit more, 60% uh, chance of actually getting involved in criminal activity. When a person gets a, obtains anything close to an associate's or bachelor's degree, uh, then it goes to, it drops down to at least maybe about, maybe 35% chance, uh, least likely chance of actually getting involved in any type of criminal activity. Once they shoot up to a master's degree, then they have almost a zero chance of getting involved in any type of criminal activity. So, uh, uh, although the system itself may not be geared towards trying to rehabilitate the men um, as they feel that they will be able to um, uh, better prepare themselves or to better prepare themselves intellectually, uh, spiritually, um, even physically in some capacity. Uh, if, if, if when they begin to get better in, in education, that's when the rehabilitative measures actually begin to really get deep down inside of that person where they begin to think that, you know what, I need to change my life because I was not thinking this way. And at least what I've also noticed is that while the guys are actually having discussions, because before they will always talk about like different war stories, what I used to do on the block, how many drugs I've sold, uh, 
uh, uh, remember when I used to kick it over here, remember what cars I drive. I mean, they, they want to talk about all the materialistic things that they had. And then something, something clicks. This materialistic, these materialistic things did not bring me nothing but pain, nothing but misery. Um, I have nothing to show for it. Because I have nothing to show for it, then these things are basically carnal. And so now that they're actually able to get into some of these educational programs, the discussions are even different. Um, the language, the language is changing. Instead of talking about, "Hey, man, uh, let me let me get something from you," you know, just whatever type of lingo that they would kind of bring up. Instead, the conversation would be, "Hey, I was looking at I was looking at a, a conversation about Plato that he was having with Aristotle. Can you talk about?" Uh, these particular principles in terms of how they relate to one another. Like these are actually inmates having this discussion. So <laughs> by that discussion actually beginning to change, that's one case where the rehabilitative measures are actually begin to change. So mm -hmm. it's happening in some capacity, um, uh, but we would hope that it will begin to continue to influence others so that they can actually understand like you need to need to change the life over you you got yourself in a certain situation so now you need to figure out how to intellectually stimulate your mind to get yourself out I remember escorting a young man back to his uh cell and i asked him what you got going on for the rest of the evening he said oh i got i got homework i said oh it's the holiday though the holiday you ain't gotta you ain't gotta do that he said no Actually, the classes that I'm taking, the instructors told us day one, we're going to treat, this is a, a master's degree program. We're going to treat you like a master's, a student that's acquiring a master's degree in the world. We're not going to treat you any different because you're incarcerated. He says, we are going to give you the same amount of homework that we would give someone who's enrolled in the college. And so when he said that, I was like, wow. And just the, the commitment level that he showed and how he stressed that I don't have time for small talk. I don't have time for things that are not important. I have to get on my homework because I'm trying to graduate with this degree. And I thought that was amazing. I said, now that is what rehabilitation looks like is when you have someone who is so focused on getting their, doing their homework to get their education, education that's behind bars because he knows eventually when I get out, I want to be able to use that. Not when I get out, what type of crimes I'm going to commit so I can get on my money. Cause you, you, you know, Reverend Davis, that you were here with some guys. When I get back out on the street, my game going to be better. <laughs> I'm not going to get locked up again, but just to hear uh, a young man say, I got to get back to get my homework because I got to get this degree. That's true rehabilitation. Yeah, that that's definitely true rehabilitation. Um, and, and I mean, even, even to add to that, uh, but true rehabilitation is basically is dependent upon the person. Um, if the person isn't, I mean, you said if the person isn't um, trying to actually make commitment to change their life, to make a make a difference within themselves, um, uh, then to some degree you kind of you can't expect the system to try to try to change. Um, this machine that is currently that is currently running it's not it's not going to stop. The system has its the system has it has its issues. 
uh, and it is definitely broken in various capacities. So the best way to beat the system is to actually learn the system by educating yourself in terms of how to actually get there. Uh, and if that information is also translated to, you know, the larger community uh, in terms of how they're like, you know, like, uh, uh, I mean, some of these guys, they're actually taking law classes um, and they're taking law classes with professors who are actually, uh, you know, legal attorneys um, within the within the system. And so. Uh, what better way to understand or learn how to uh, understand your case or, or learn your rights um, than to actually take a take a class with a professor uh, who is who is at a, an esteemed uh, university who does this pretty much for a living? Um, it is it's uh, the guy the guys that need to do it. But I, I, it was it was one thing um, where I kind of had. Uh, 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 I remember a story where there was a guy uh, at this time I was actually working as an officer. There was a guy, he might've been maybe 18 or 19 years old. And his, and I asked him, I said, you know, cause he was getting ready to get parole. I said, I said, brother, man, what, you know, you know, you still kind of young, man. You know, so what do you plan on doing once you get ready to, you know, leave and once you get parole, once you get back out on the streets, and so he said, man, I'm going to stop selling drugs. And, you know, I'm just going to stop selling drugs. I'm getting tired of selling drugs, man. You know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to stop doing that, you know, try to give me a gig. And I was like, okay, well, you know, what else is your plan? You know, how are you going to change your life? What are you going to do different? He said, well, you know, what I'm going to do different when I get out, instead of me actually selling the drugs, I'm going to have my little brother sell drugs for me. Are you serious? I was blown away. I'm like, okay. I'm like, dude, you, 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 you missing it. You missing it. You're, you're, you're missing it. I mean, and this is a young man. This is a young man who just decided that, you know, if I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat the system, or maybe perhaps. I don't want to beat the system. Um, and that guy, he doesn't even have life. I mean, he was, he was basically, he just had drug charges or whatnot. And so I was just like, wow, this is, this is really interesting. But when you start to have, when, when I, well, at least when I began to have conversations with people who had 20, 30, 40 years to life, the conversations were, all, the conversations were always different. Um, I wish, and, and, and what they kind of always tell me is that I wish I would have not, uh, I wish I would have listened to my mother or I mm -hmm. wish I would have listened to my family. I wish mm -hmm. I would have listened to my wife or my girlfriend or the, the person that was trying to prevent them from getting involved in criminal activity. Uh, was the person that they ignored, and and in a lot of cases, they are actually finding themselves like I really, I really regret that I didn't listen. Um, so it's 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 heartbreaking, and it's kind of like you just have no choice but to have uh, sympathy for the guys. Do you have actual services? 
Yes, I do. Uh, I have, we have several different services. Um, some of them I facilitate, some of them I sit in to actually, you know, learn. Um, I mean, I've sat in on Jehovah's Witness uh, services, uh, Muslim services, uh, Christian services, Buddhist services. I, 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 I had to, well, I actually wanted to get involved in some of those services. I was like, okay, I, now I know I've read, I've done my research about these religions or whatever, but I don't really, I, I ain't never did the practices before. So I'm like, well, let, let me see, let me see, let me see what it's like. Um, and uh, all of them have actually always been very, very respectful, very kind. Um, and you really begin to see those who are intentionally committed uh, to their particular faith um, uh, to the point where this faith that they have or this particular belief that they have is the only thing or one of the main things that is actually keeping them sane. Mm -hmm. um, that is what they feel as if they have to hold on to to prevent them from lashing out or getting upset or uh, going or, or, or pretty much kind of innocence, getting themselves uh, more frustrated with how the system has been treating them. Whether they were innocent or guilty, um, the same type of conflict still kind of takes place. Uh, and so this faith actually, to some degree, kind of gives them hope. And so we kind of, we lean on our volunteers very heavily and said, you know, do what you can, do what's necessary, uh, and in most cases, we actually become uh, very uh, effective in terms of how we're, you know, conducting uh, different services. How does how does one volunteer? Is it through you? Yes. So uh, uh, basically, if a person wants to volunteer in the prison, they would uh, pretty much, in a sense, they would go through me. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it feels a little awkward sometimes, but, uh, I am the point person to, uh, to come in, uh, for the person, for the person to come in. And, you know, usually what I wind up doing for any person that wants to volunteers is my, my, for, for my safety and security, I'm always asking for a proposal. So what is the intentionality? of that particular volunteer in regards to why do they feel they need to come into this maximum security prison. Um, uh, if you're coming in here for to try to get certain, certain type of accolades to say, yeah, you know, I've been in the state or whatnot, you know, it, uh, or I've been in the Logan or I've been in the Menard or whatever, um, you know, if, if that's the, if that's the whole situation is sort of like, okay, you're, you're, you're going about this the wrong way. Um, you have to be really intentional in terms of how you're actually going to come into the prison. And so, yeah, yeah, they'll be, they'll be, I'll be able to get them in, hopefully. Uh, but, uh, you say it again? If they have the, the, the right intention. Right. If they have, if they have the right, if they have the right intentions, then, um, uh, we could we could definitely try to work something out for them to come in and do volunteer work. Okay. 
you know, it's so many, it's, 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 it's churches and, 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 and mosques and, and synagogues. And these are uh, typically organizations that have prison ministry. So it, it, I recommend for people who have never volunteered in a correctional facility to, to align their, their vision and their desires with some type of organization that already has a prison ministry so that you can learn how it goes. And then therefore, if you would like to develop your own program and then submit it, then you already have the experience of going into a correctional center and volunteering because it's not as easy as it seems. Um, some people think, oh, I'm just going to go in here and I'm going to speak to them. It's, 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 not that, it's not that cut and dry. I mean, because for one thing, uh, just because you're going to have a program, I don't think that the inmates are going to show up. It's not mandatory for inmates to show up at different programs. It's, it's voluntary. Once the word is put out there, if you're interested, you can sign up for the class. But if no one knows anything about you or don't know anything about the class, then if no one signs up, then there goes your volunteer opportunity for that. So I do, um, I mean, you could correct me if I'm wrong, um, Reverend, but uh, it's, I would recommend those who have never volunteered to get with a program and that way they can learn the ropes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the funny thing is part of, part of my school research is uh, actually trying to train different uh different faiths that you know you you kind of it's 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 definitely not as easy um the way that you administer uh to a person that has had a drug problem is different to a person that has actually committed a murder um they have two they have two different two polar opposite issues in terms of in terms of what they're actually dealing with um uh, two polar opposite concerns as far as for what uh, what has actually been there. Yeah, what's pretty much kind of this has been their concern. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, it would be best for them to probably begin to sort of like get educated. Uh, may have to even wind up telling them stop looking. Stop checking out lockup, or stop looking at some of these shows <laughs> that that actually have nothing to do. Like, I mean, if you just want to watch a prison show, all right, that's fine. But that is not the way that you learn how a correctional <laughs> system or prison <laughs> operates. It's not. Uh, you need to kind of, in a sense, get an understanding of. Uh, I mean, it may help with it may help with you know some other issues, but that's not the actual culture and that's not the average day person that you will constantly come into contact with. Uh, those are TV characters. Those are, those are TV, those are TV <laughs> characters. Um, but you know, uh, my suggestion has always been, um, even when I'm talking to, you know, different, different churches or whatnot, uh, my suggestion is kind of like dealing with three things in terms of what I have a tendency to focus on is that you cannot be an effective church if you're not if you're not fully aware of of the of the justice system um that might be maybe one of the number one things because if you if you don't understand the system then you're not going to be able to understand their pain you're not going to be able to understand the misery so that may be number the point one thing uh the second thing is uh a, a lot of these guys 
they may have been at some point may have been uh, one of the providers, you know, for their, for their families. And so while they are incarcerated, their families are also affected. So uh, a big piece that even some churches that, who, who may not even want to actually go into a prison, um, just being able to provide for uh, those inmates' families, um, some, some type of thing, you know, it can be, uh, I don't know, different type of, different type of programs, uh, whether it was dealing with sh uh, shelter or perhaps maybe try to get daycare or even um, any type of thing that, that those families feel that they could probably lean on as far as for the religious community to lean on to try to get some assistance. That's where, that's where um, uh, a person can actually learn how to do effective ministry um, uh, even beyond the prison. Uh, and then thirdly is that regardless of what religious uh, background that they may have is that if you're going to minister and if you're going to minister in the prison, um, you have to make sure that your goal is sincere and that the people actually see and feel that you're actually trying to help them change their life. If you, if they don't see that you're trying to help them change their life, then they will definitely let you know by not showing up. That's <laughs> true. That's true. And they will show if, if I just want to uh, mention Helen Sinclair and the work that she's done in the prison ministry for how long? Reverend, I don't know. She's been. Uh, I know she's been there. Let me see. I would probably say maybe over 30 or 40 years. She's yeah. she been coming there for a I long time. I think longer. I think longer because she started her mission when her son was incarcerated. And I think he was incarcerated downstate. But that right. started her desire to administer young men in prison. And she still, she slowed down a little bit, but she, she still does it today. But inside one of the state facilities is a drawing that an inmate made of her which is actually another therapeutic program for our inmates is art they're able right. to right. their projects there are places in the prison where they could a whole wall that's dedicated to uh the artwork of an inmate and one inmate decided to draw her it was a tribute to her because uh just what i've heard when the, when they talk about her she's like grandma to them she's like mom because she's not afraid to come in and talk with these guys See, a lot of people want to be volunteers but you you don't know how you're going to respond when you're in the face of murderers <laughs> rapists yeah. how you know how are you going to be able to to administer the people if you you feel 100 percent fear but i'll say this this woman went in there fearlessly and she was able to capture the hearts the minds of those young men to give them love to motivate them so for those who want to volunteer do some research on her it's called Helen sinclair please do your research on her and learn how she did it yeah 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 they 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 better, they better do their research i mean she has she has been i mean in her in her walker wheelchair don't make a difference <laughs> she is coming in that she is coming in that prison to uh to minister to those guys and i i think the i think the the fortunate thing in regards to what uh helen sinclair has been able to do is that um, for as long as she has been coming 
um, to the prison, she has been able to witness guys who have done who have done probably maybe 30 years, uh, 25 years, maybe even 40 years um, uh, while they've been, while they've been incarcerated and actually see them, you know, get set free and release. Um, so, some people in, in most cases usually don't see that in their lifetime. Um, so, I mean, that's a, that's a very well, uh, honorable thing to be able to see that, you know, the person that you have been ministering to for, you know, a number of years has been able to fully see that you have been with them every step of the way. And um, what, what I've noticed is that what, what the inmates pretty much, in a sense, look forward to um, is that they want someone to know that I need to know that somebody's here with me even though they may not be in here with me, that they are definitely by my side and they're definitely showing some support um, and allowing me to be able to sort of like be transparent and vulnerable. Uh, because in, in, within the correctional system, a lot of people, they feel that it's, you know, pity or that you're weak if you're, if you, if you're vulnerable. And so Helen Sinclair, she has actually been able to really reinstitute that type of concept that it's okay. It's okay to be vulnerable. Uh, but I want you to know that I'm going to continue to stay with you and minister to you in this particular capacity or whatever capacity that they may be in. I had a question for you too. Okay. And this is still, I mean, we've like, as, a, as we both know, as officers and when we were, when we were officers, how we've heard so many and they say, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. What has been your experiences of those men who claim innocent and they actually been proven to be innocent and released? What does the ministry, what has the ministry look like from your standpoint when you're dealing with that type of inmate? Uh, oh, boy. You just had to ask me the rough one. Oh. <laughs> uh, Sorry. No, 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 no. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I, I would probably say, well, I can only speak speak from experience. I have been only fortunate enough to really fully witness one person who has actually been released. Um, who was claiming his innocence from the day that he came through the gate. And he's been there, I think he was there for at least probably about almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, but he always claimed his innocence. Uh, he, uh, and, I've, and I was fortunate enough to actually, you know, converse with him, you know, on various things. Uh, what, what, what made this guy particularly special is the fact that I've never seen a guy that was so respectful um, uh, who, who was very, he was extremely humble. And I mean, I mean, this, now, you know, I'm, I'm only about 200, 500, five, five, eight. This guy was at least probably about six, three and maybe about two, two fifty. So, I mean, he was a big guy, but he was, very humble, extremely humble. And um, he didn't, 
he didn't uh, uh, appear as if he was trying to uh, um, make his make his size to be intimidating. Um, he was always trying to assist and help brothers. And what wound up making it even more interesting is that this guy actually may have been the only one that I have come across who actually obtained his bachelor's degree through uh, through another university in Colorado. And he was doing this all on his own. Um, and so, I mean, he, he actually wound up finishing his bachelor's degree, I believe. But uh, for a person that, as far as to claim his innocence, I usually try to make sure that, you know, I am able to not uh, uh, cast any judgment uh, on them. That, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say that you're innocent, but I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going. I'm not going to treat you any less as if you were not innocent. Um, I'm gonna treat you like like a, like a human being, um, because you know when we were off, folks folks have a folks have a tendency to try to spin you, and then when you find out some information, then it's just like, well, I've been duped. No, I'm not going to be duped. So <laughs> my 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 thing my thing is is that you know I'm gonna walk with you. I'm a I'm gonna I'm gonna really try to get or gain an understanding of understanding of who you are. And so when I actually found out that this guy was actually innocent, I was actually quite excited for him. Um, uh, I was actually surprised. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see him leave, but I definitely uh, prayed and wished him well, you know, on his journey um, as he continues to go forward. Because, I mean, he missed almost 20 years of his life being incarcerated, but he has been the ideal citizen and I really believe and truly believe that uh, while he is out, uh, that if, if I were to see him on the street, you would never know that this man was incarcerated for that, for that long because he's totally an upstanding gentleman. And, uh, I mean, he was, he was a great guy. So, you know, that's kind of this is how I uh, deal with it. Question. Okay. <laughs> we are we are in a climate where a lot of people seem to be anti-religious. Okay. Anti-religion. That's what we're, it's it's like this movement where people are they're, they're saying things about Christianity. They're saying things about Islam. They're saying things about everything. How does that translate in the prison system? Are you seeing people coming in with those same beliefs? Or, or lack of beliefs, and, and how do you reach them? Are they, like, what, what helps them? Uh, what usually helps them is, is just sort of like basic, basic principles. Um, some of them actually wind up having a tendency to really lean heavy on, uh, heavy on uh, philosophy. Um, they are, uh, they use sort of like in a sense they kind of admonish sort of like the golden rule in terms of what a person is or how a person is supposed to function in this particular segment. Um, and, and some people, um, they have actually uh, decided that uh, within themselves that they don't believe in God. They can't see how, how a God can um, cause a person to become incarcerated and they're innocent and they know they didn't do it. 
And so the, the idea is that, well, where is God when I am suffering? Where is God when I am incarcerated? Where is God uh, uh, with, this, with this evil system? Is God supposed to, if God is omnipotent, then why isn't God uh, um, actually showing that he knows uh, that something wrong is going on here? And um, uh, usually when I come across those, those type of cases, I always use certain principles that can easily be translated so that they'll be able to kind of like understand like, okay, well, I'm not going to try to persuade you to believe in God, but I can try to persuade you to at least believe in yourself that you can actually change uh, your own life. Um, you, can, you can at least start there. You can at least start there. I mean, if you decide or you have a, uh, uh, some type of vision where you actually uh, come across some type of enlightenment period where you actually experience, you know, God for yourself, then that's great. But until you get there, um, let's, let's at least try to gauge at how are you actually being directed in life? Are you being directed in life the proper way through education, through philosophy, through um, aspects of, you know, are you, are you, are you understanding uh, what love means? And what love could be, you know, are you actually having love for your brother? Are you actually having love for your family? Um, uh, if they can start there, then usually that's probably the best approach in terms of how I've actually done it uh, is usually try to target, you know, what are some pivotal things that they can actually change. And it, in most cases, it actually works um and then some people they just don't like to discuss religion at all so uh, uh i just kind of just leave leave it at that i just got one final thing okay <laughs> i know you like i'm full of i don't work in the prison system so i got questions <laughs> no that's fine that's fine, that's fine. and you've told you've told us so much but can you just tell us like your overall assessment and impression of what you do and what this system is like. Hmm. No holes bar. No holes bar. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I think what I would probably have to say is that this system is built to arrest your intelligence, incarcerate your body, and in some capacity, it feels as if it's actually going to destroy the soul. But if a person begins to find out that they can live, that you discover your own humanity if you change your identity that you are not a monster that you don't adhere to what people say you are what type of person you are um you can you can change but if the change doesn't start with you then the system will basically just eat you up and you just have to deal with um uh, 
some people make it. I've 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 seen I've seen more I've seen more people make it um, within at least within my lifetime. I mean, I've only been there. I've only been um, working working in chaplaincy for probably about two years, almost two years, and and I started off as an officer, so I got about roughly about a total of eight. But um, still, at the same time. Um, uh, 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 the thing that to some degree kind of makes it complicated while we have people who have been wrongfully convicted and there are probably more cases of people who are who are, who are wrongfully convicted I would hope that they don't allow the system to break them um uh, and and I and I'll, I'll share I'll share this one I'll share this one story this this one's a free one so uh, I had a um, I had a, a a relative that was that was incarcerated and I saw them in passing going on a transfer and I couldn't do anything or say anything to them while they were being incarcerated. And this is a this is a blood relative. I had to I had to I had to ignore the fact that this person, my my blood relative, was actually uh, incarcerated. But I think the reawakening piece, at least on both ends, was that for me, I knew that I needed to do something different. I needed to do something that would, that would actually make a change. And for the other person, for, the, for my uh, blood relative who I saw incarcerated, um, they have been, they were before, they were in and out of prison. Now they've been out of prison for almost probably about five years now. Um, and I think the piece that probably became pivotal is that when you come face to face with something that you really don't want to see ever in life you begin to re-examine the change like you know what okay this this i i can't keep i can't keep giving into the system i need to change how i am how i'm thinking how i'm in processing um because i mean there are guys that don't make it but if you keep putting yourself in situations where you're put back in the system, then you're allowing the system to to break you. You're saying, "Break me, destroy me. I don't, I don't deserve to live." So they have to regain a sense of identity and hope for themselves. That you know, regardless of what the system may try to do to them, what are you going to do with your life now? That that's always what I generally try to try to do when I'm uh, speaking speaking to the man there. Well, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> well, that brings us to our challenges. Well, before we get to our challenges, I want to say this one thing about Reverend Davis. I have to say this about you because it needs to be said. And I want to say one thing about you is that, the one thing I want to say about you, that you exemplify interfaith ministries. And I've seen that with my own eyes. As you are a... Uh, a minister in Christianity has never stopped you from administering 
from those who are who are Muslims, who are Hebrew Israelites, etc. I've actually saw you uh, attempt to get a Quran for a Muslim, and you don't have to do that as a, as a as a Christian minister, but you do. And I think it's important that you be acknowledged for that your open mindedness and you ensuring that you have programs that fit every inmate. I've seen you incorporate programs that benefit Muslim inmates and you didn't have to do that. So I just want to put that out there and say, you just want to praise you for that brother because you do that. And it shows in how the inmates deal with you and how they talk about you because they know you are sincere and you're not conditional. Well, I only deal with you if it's on my religious terms and you're not like that. So I've seen them may say, well, I know I got to go, but I want to talk to Reverend Davis right quick. Like they was, they're supposed to be going somewhere else and they will stop what they're doing to come see, to see, stop you in the hallway to say, can I holler at you for a minute? And that goes a long way because if you wasn't sincere and honest and supportive, those guys wouldn't do that. So I just want to say that. All right, now for the challenges. <laughs> Thank you. I, see, I wish I wish y'all could see him. He over here blushing. You all I wish you could see him. Wish the audience could see you because you are blushing. But you are a real dude, man. I love you and you are so Thank you. Love you too, man. So I just want to say that. Challenge number one. This is for our listening audience. I, I we always challenge the audience, bro. So this is our first challenge. Be committed to encouraging those who you know or who you related to that are incarcerated, they need your moral support. There's nothing worse than a guy sitting in the cell all day with no letters, you know, no visits. Encourage them. And don't just be there for them, but encourage them to rehabilitate. Steer them to be more focused to, to rehabilitation, as you talked about, uh, Reverend Davis, as far as them taking ownership on their own rehabilitation. The programs are there. It's up to them to tap into those programs and utilize them as a resource. Uh, the next one is to, for our audience, for you to educate yourself on these prison groups, prison reform groups. There are a lot of groups out there that are fighting for inmates that are educating the public on the day and life of an inmate so that you are more educated on what their experiences, on what their obstacles are, so that you can better support them while they're there when your, your relatives are locked up, but also when they come home. There's a, there's a group called, uh, there's a site I want to send our listeners to. It's called marshallproject.org. And that is where you can learn about the day and life of an inmate through different prisons throughout the country, but also on just obstacles uh, that, they, that they have to interact with or how they have to face, but also laws that may, that may affect their level of rehabilitation. So if you're interested, please check that out. Uh, one of the last things that you can do is you can get with these community uh, organizations that have prison ministry programs set up. You can get, you can join your uh, church or assist a church with their prison ministry or a mosque. But also there are community groups that have programs where you can come and you can help pack books so that they can be shipped to prison. So so many organizations out there that do more than just come to the prison. There are those who pack items that are shipped to prison. So you can also help on that level as well. Um, those were my challenges. And I would really love to see our community be more supportive to those who are incarcerated so that when they come home, they have a more supportive community that they're coming back to because everyone is not going to get a life sentence. Everyone does not have a life sentence. Many of them come home. So on that note, 
Reverend Davis, what are your last words? Uh, my last words for, for the listeners will probably be um, learn that even though a person is incarcerated, they're not emasculated. They are men that are broken. Um, we as a community need to make sure that we are um, finding ways in terms of how to physically minister to to the men as well as as well as spiritually. And so, if we are in pursuit of that calling, um, then that will actually help them reestablish uh, their own identity and their own faith and give them a sense of hope that they can actually, that they can actually make it um, while they're in there or after they get released. Uh, we have to do that as a community. We have to do it in a concept of um, keeping one thing in mind and you got it right above your head, love. You got to <laughs> love, you got to love humanity. Love humanity for, for, for who they are in spite of what they have done. Mm, I love it. So can you tell everyone where they, the title of your book again and where, they can, where you can purchase your book? Oh, okay. So uh, the title of my book is The uh, Millennial Christian, and it's a collection of sermons on life liberty and pursuit of whole uh, in a postmodern world. Um, they, it is available on Amazon. Uh, it's actually available on Amazon in print. Uh, it's a really good book. Uh, it's my see, first published. See, I got mine. See, I got You got, you got <laughs> see, you got yours, see? Uh, but it's, 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 a, it's, a it's a really good book. So I, I hope that the people will, uh, will locate it and actually, uh, actually grab it. It's a really good read. It's a simple read. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Reverend Davis. I want to thank your listening audience uh, for tuning in for this very special topic. And I ho hope you were touched in a way that you would like to do give back to your community. And then if you would also like to learn more about those who are incarcerated and how you can help them. So thank you so much for listening in this week. And we look forward to you joining us next week on Conversations with the Royal Empress. Thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Impress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Impress, please visit the website royalimpress.org. You can also follow the Royal Impress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Impress is a subsidiary of the Royal Impress organization. All rights reserved.